Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Good morning, everyone. My name is Barry Campus, pastor of Taramara, and uh, really glad you could be with us today. Today, we start a brand new series on how do you? Today, how do you get through grief? Uh, next week, I want to speak on how do you grow in gratitude? And then our final week in this series, Sam's going to be speaking on how do you gain wisdom? Some really great topics uh, that are very practical and helpful for us over the next few weeks. Uh, life is really a series of gains and losses. And grief is the pain that we experience when we have a loss. Uh, grief affects our mood. It affects our attitude. It affects our thinking. affects our relationships. It affects so much when we experience loss. And we, one of the things I want to share today is... We don't get over our losses, but we can, with God's help, get through grief. We can get through it. Uh, recently, I was asking a bunch of mature women in the life of our church uh, what they were grieving. And they said things like, I just want to give my kids a hug. I just want to give my grandkids a hug. I, I miss my family. I miss seeing them. Uh, I miss being able to be with them, have a meal with them. Uh, I asked some young people, what are they missing? They said they're really missing their friends. They're really missing being able to catch up with them. And sometime soon, as they get back to school, they're going to be able to do that. Uh, others said they're, they're really missing just being in church together, missing worshipping God. Some are missing sport. And what we've got to recognise is that over the last 16 or 17 weeks, we have been grieving. We've been grieving things that we've enjoyed that we haven't been able to do. We've had a loss. And even when we come out of lockdown and go into the new season or the new section of life, we're going to be grieving some things that we've enjoyed over the last 16 weeks that are no longer going to be there. We're going to learn how to deal with grief. I sat this week with some people who are experiencing grief. Some, it's the death of a marriage. Others, it's the death of an aunt. Others, it's the death of a child. And so grief is very real. And one of the things we need to do is learn how to deal with it. How do you get through grief? I've had a number of losses in my own life. Uh, some of those just started when I was just a little fellow, when I was six years old. You know, the, the, there was floods and the family farm had to be sold. And all the friends that I'd started building friendships with at school in grade one and half of grade two, I had to say goodbye and hardly ever saw a lot of them ever again as we moved house. And then as my brothers and sisters, I'm the second youngest of seven, and as my oldest sister got married and my oldest brother got married, I experienced grief again because no longer could I have a daily interaction with those in my own family who had left home and, uh, and got married. And I was pretty angry, actually, with the person they married because they took them away from me. Um, <laughs> but, the, you know, you, you experience grief because there's a loss. And then when I left you know, when I finished school and I left home and moved three hours away uh, to do university, I experienced grief again. And my parents did too because I'd moved. And so there's a loss. And so one of the things is grief isn't just when someone dies. Grief, we experience grief when there's a significant enough change where there's a loss, a loss of relationship, a loss of some kind that we experience. There has been in my life a heap of grief. And I'm not going to dwell on that today, but I'm certain that in the future, there's also going to be in my life and in your life, gains and losses. Now, if there is anyone who can help us get through grief, 
and I don't want to sound trite, but the fact is, if there's anyone who can help us get through grief, it's Jesus. And one of the things that I have found in my own grief is a recognition and an understanding and coming closer to God through my grief that God understands my pain. And whatever pain I've gone through, he gets it. He understands. Because when I look to Jesus and I look to God himself and see all that he has gone through, man, oh man, I just draw near to him and he draws near to me because we find that in the God who has suffered, Jesus, who understands the pain of grief, he really connects with me and I can connect with him and we can draw nearer to him through our grief. Pretty interesting, isn't it? Let's have a look at a couple of verses. We're going to look at Isaiah 53. This is written 700 years before Jesus is born. It's a prophecy by the prophet Isaiah. And he says this about Jesus. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Isaiah says that because he he, he, he's, he's talking about this Messiah, this Jesus. And listen to the description of Jesus. A man of sorrows, familiar with the deepest grief. Jesus understands our grief. He gets it. And then we look uh, at another, another passage. And this was written about 65 AD. It's about 35 years after the death burial and resurrection of Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says this about Jesus. He says, during the days of Jesus's life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learnt obedience from what he suffered. In other words, this, this writer to Hebrews is helping us recognize that Jesus himself, the very son of God, experienced cries and tears and pain and crying out to God. And even at the cross, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's, a, there's an understanding in Jesus that he gets you and he gets you when you pray that prayer. God, God, what are you doing? This is just so hard to deal with. So how do you get through grief? There are some unhealthy ways to get through it. And today I want to just share three very, very uh, important um, steps in the grief process. I'm not going to do what Elizabeth Kubler-Ross did and look at the stages of grief. Uh, we're not going to look at that today, but it's very, very helpful. But uh, today, let's look at it. First one is we need to lament by entering into the pain, the reality of our painful loss. The painful reality of our loss, we need to enter it. In other words, when you have a loss, don't deny the loss. Don't bury your head in the sand like an ostrich. Don't, don't just go all up into your head. Feel the pain in your heart. Enter into the reality of the painful loss. Express the emotions of the grief that you're experiencing. In his great book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Peter Scazzaro, an author, a pastor, uh, an Italian as well. I like that about him. He writes this. The capacity to grieve is almost lost in our culture. People use work, TV, drugs, alcohol, shopping, food binges, busyness, unhealthy relationships, anything 
that they possibly can in order to medicate the pain that's in their life. Year after year, he says, people deny and avoid the difficulties and losses in their life by medicating on these things. Year after year, we deny and avoid the difficulties and the losses, the rejections and the frustrations. And what he's helping us see is that sometimes some things that can be very good things like work and relationships and even shopping to feed yourself, some of those, there's nothing in and wrong of themselves, but what we need to recognise is, are we doing those things in a way to medicate the pain that's deep down inside of us? The author of the Message Bible Translation, um, uh, Eugene Peterson, a pastor and author, he passed away a couple of couple of years ago he writes this he wrote this pain isn't the worst thing being hated isn't the worst thing being separated from the one that you love is not the worst thing death even isn't the worst thing the worst thing is failing to deal with the reality that you're going through and becoming disconnected from what is actual do you hear that the, the, the worst thing is when we don't face up to the reality of our situation of what we're really working through. And then he says this, when I do, what I do with my grief affects the way that you handle your grief. And together, what we need to recognise is that as a church, we form a community that deals with death and other losses in the context of God's overall control, his sovereignty. God ultimately is in control. And ultimately, it's going to be expressed in resurrection, in new life. You know, when Jesus went to visit the graveside of his good buddy, Lazarus, um, he had died about four days earlier. Jesus was late for the funeral. And uh, Jesus spoke to Mary and Martha, who weren't impressed that Jesus came so late. And Jesus' uh, friend, Lazarus, had died. And, and, And in John 11, verse 25 to 26, Jesus said, Uh, to Mary and Martha. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asks, do you believe this? And Jesus says this because he wants to bring comfort to those who are grieving. And Jesus was deeply moved at the death of his good buddy, Lazarus. And so we come to another verse, just a few verses after he talks about the hope of the resurrection and that he is the resurrection and the life and that in him there is victory. And then we get to this little verse, John eleven thirty-five, 35, shortest verse in the Bible. If here's one to remember, Jesus wept. And what we see here is that we, we recognize that Jesus understands your grief and my grief. He wept, he cried, he lamented the death of his good friend. We also know this about Jesus, that he, when he, when he was facing his very own death, he would often talk about it. He would talk with his disciples. He said, look guys, uh, one day I'm going to go to Jerusalem and uh, uh, the religious leaders of the day, they're going to, they're going to, I'm going to be have a trial and I'm going to be crucified. Uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to be buried and, and I'm going to rise again. And Jesus constantly told his good friends about this was about to happen to him. Jesus faced up to the reality of grief. He faced up to it. 
He talked about it often. And he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries. And so what I want to encourage you to do today and to be prepared for when you experience a loss or maybe if there's a loss that you've experienced that you haven't yet lamented, I want to invite you today to take the healthy step, to take the healthy step and lament by entering the painful reality of loss. Be emotionally honest with God and others and with yourself. The second, the first one is to lament. The second one starts with Alex. Look, look for the pitfalls and the possibilities in both gains and losses. Because we need to see that there are pitfalls and possibilities whenever there's a gain or a loss. You see, Jesus said this. He said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Doesn't sound right, doesn't it? Sounds a bit upside down. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Jesus talked about blessed are you when you suffer harm because of him, because your reward will be great. Jesus also said this, he said, unless a kernel of wheat, unless a seed of wheat dies, falls to the ground and dies and is buried, unless that happens, it will never bring forth new life. And so Jesus talks about the importance of counting the cost. He does this a lot in his stories. Uh, and, and, and what we've got to recognise is that when there's losses and gains, there are both possibilities and pitfalls when there are losses and gains. There's an old story about a wise man who uh, lived on the vast frontiers of a country that was yet to be explored. One day, his son, a, a young man, had a horse and the horse ran away and it was taken by the uh, people that lived on the borders the drifters that lived across the border. Everyone in the, in the area tried to comfort this young man about the fact that his horse that he loved was now gone. But his father, a very wise man, said, what makes you so sure this is not a blessing? Months later, his horse returned and brought with, it, with, with her a magnificent stallion. And so all the people in the community congratulated and said, oh, how good is this? Your horse is back and now we've got this amazing stallion. And so as a result of that, he was richly blessed. Lots of foals and lots more for him. But this time, um, everyone was full of praise. But his father said, well, what makes you so sure that this isn't a disaster? Well, the next thing that happened was the guy went for a ride on the horse and he fell off and broke his hip. And when he broke his hip, the father said to him, as everyone else tried to comfort him, the father said, what makes you so sure that this isn't a blessing? The son was going, what? A year later, drifters from the bordering towns came and raided their country. And as a result, the men from that country had to go to war against that other country. But only the able-bodied men were able to go. And nine out of ten of the able-bodied men were killed. But the son and his father, they weren't killed because he was a crippled, the son, and the father stayed back to look after him. You see, it's really important that we think about our losses and our gains and whether or not there are pitfalls or possibilities in the losses and gains. You see, often what appears to be a success can actually be not so good. And what appears to be a terrible event 
can actually turn out to be a source of great blessing. Isn't that what our faith is about? I mean, Jesus, the the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him in heaven, he he endured the cross, despising its shame and then sat down at the right hand of God. You see, Jesus saw the pain of the cross, but ultimately he could see that to get to the blessing, he had to go through the pain. This is pretty deep. (laughs) But I want to invite you to look for the pitfalls and the possibilities in the gains and losses and to be like that wise man and look for the pitfalls and the possibilities in your gains and in your losses. The third step, stage that we need to go through is we need to lean on God to allow our suffering to transform us, to allow our grief to transform us. You know, I've come to know that it's those who have suffered much in life, who have dealt well with their grief, who have deepened in their faith and have become mature. Those who allow their losses to enlarge their soul are worth listening to. It changes them into deep people, helps them be made more like Jesus. You know, it doesn't sound right, but it is true that God can bless you through your grief. God can actually transform you through your grief. And how we handle grief will either make us bitter or it will make us better. I want to tell you a story. Imagine what it would be like if you were a man who had gone to university, studied law, become a lawyer in the city where you lived, got married, had five children, one son and four daughters, uh, all, at, all before you're like 35 years old and you're doing really, really well. You'd made enough money in your career, not only to feed your wife and family of five kids, but you'd made enough money to, to, to purchase a number of buildings in the CBD of the city in which you live. You are well known, you are well respected, you know some of the most uh, economic and political and religious leaders, you have influence and you know lots of people and they know you and you're well regarded. Imagine what it would be like when life is going so well. Family, career, business, all is going well. Success, finances, health. But suddenly, your son dies. Your firstborn. Imagine the, the grief of what that would be like for you to go through. And then, not just that happens, but a fire breaks out in the city where you, where you live and And the buildings that you own are wiped out. Your buildings, plus a whole heap of other buildings in that city, are just totally wiped out. And it just takes a toll. And so what you decide to do, you you and your wife and your four daughters, you decide you're going to go on a family holiday. You're going to get on a cruise ship and a sailing ship and go to another country for a break, a well-earned break. But just before you were due to board the ship, a last-minute business matter arises and it forces you to deal with that business matter. And so in order not to ruin the family holiday at the destination, you send your wife and daughters ahead of you on another ship and you're going to sail on another ship later. But unfortunately, the ship that your wife and daughters is on, on its journey to the other country, it collides with another ship. Imagine the grief that your wife would experience as she sees her four lovely daughters 
clinging to her, hanging on for their life as the, sick, as, as the, as the ship begins to sink. Imagine her grief as the waters rush around the children and as the ship goes down, the kids are just torn away from her and those four daughters and 222 other passengers are all killed within 12 minutes. Imagine the grief that she goes through because she's okay and the word spreads about this disaster and then she sends a telegram. Imagine what it would be like nine days after this occasion and you get a message from your wife via a telegram, not a text, and it says this, saved alone. You go, what's, what's going on here? And so you, catch a sh- you, you get on a ship and you've actually heard that your own family, your own daughters have died. You set sail across the ocean to meet your grieving wife and to just near the place where your daughters drowned. What do you do? How do you grieve? How do you get through your grief? This story actually happened in the late 1700s. A guy by the name of Horatio Spafford who lived in Chicago, a lawyer, a father of five children, an influential man in the CBD of Chicago. He knew evangelists, he knew great preachers and wealthy business people and this went through his, this, is, this was his experience. And on the sailing ship near the place where his daughters drowned, he lamented his loss, he wept, he cried, he, 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 he went into grief and he wrote a song. He wrote a song from his heart that would bring healing and hope and blessing and comfort to millions and millions of people over the next 250 years and would continue to do so after that. A song that would bring hope and healing. And the song is, it is well with my soul. When peace like a river attends to my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and bought and shed his own blood for my soul. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au. Are you part of the family and had it on your heart to get more involved at Northside, but you're not sure where to start? Well, we'd love to help. Send us an email at iwanttoserve at northsidechurch.org.au today.